All right, we are live. Welcome to Legitimus Podcast, episode number 15. Here with you today is myself, Mike Miller, as hopefully everybody knows from Double Bit Axe Company. We also have Mr. Roy Scott from Vintage Axe Works, excuse me, Vintage Axe Works down in Kentucky. The Dirty South. Uh, our other, uh, our other cohort, uh, Mr. Killinger cannot make it on today because of scheduling. And that's one of the reasons why we are a little bit late to the podcast here. Uh, obviously it's been about a week and a half since our last one. The people have spoken and they want their axe <laughs> champions back. So we are going to give you probably the best episode that we've had yet so far here today between Roy and myself. So Shout. without further ado, Roy, let's get us updated on what's been going on, a little shop talk, what's happening. Well, first off, um, thanks to everyone that um, is uh, downloading and listening and supporting us and sending us messages. Um, I, I'm kind of overwhelmed by how popular and successful this thing has been kind of right off the get-go, and we want to continue doing it. So you guys know who you are. Uh, just want to say big thanks to all of you all. So. I have been really busy the last two weeks. Um, so I went down to Maryland to go to Mount Phillip Metalworks and hung out with Chris Cash for th- two days, two days of full work and two days of travel. So um, I-, I can't thank him enough for, so here's how, here's how everything happened. Um, Chris Cash and I, we've known each other for a little bit now, um, I think about a year or so. Um, and out of nowhere, he makes me this really awesome single-bit axe opener and sends it to me. It's got his stamp on it. And, uh, like, unsolicited, unprovoked, just, hey, here's a really cool opener for you. And it, and I've been using it and showing it off and stuff, and then he hits me up and he's like, hey, let's, let's do a run of these bottle openers and, um, we can get your name stamped on there and we can forge them out and you can sharpen them and just do a really awesome collaboration. Uh, so I seriously, I can't thank him enough for initiating, uh, all of it. Um, so I went down there, I flew in on Tuesday and then I got there late Tuesday night, DC traffic is horrendous. Um, and then Wednesday and Thursday, it was literally 12 hour days of, forging and grinding and finishing um that guy's a hard-working son of a bitch and uh i've never forged anything in my life and so i thought it was going to be he's going to forge them send them over to me to grind them um but that was not the case at all we had about 150 of them and he's like dude we i can't do all these i need your help so he was running his coal forge. He's got a huge, like, 600-pound anvil. He's got another 230 or 40 rhino one that he did a deal with Blacksmith to Andrew from Blacksmith Tools. And we were working on both of them. Uh, and it was just a lot of fun. I mean, it was a great learning experience. I've never done anything like that. I want to get into blacksmithing. Um, it was just a, a great opportunity to go down and, like, I, it would have been foolish of me not to do that. Um, and Chris Cash, uh, just a stand-up guy, he's very well-known in the community, the blacksmith community, the tool community. He loves listening to 
all sorts of different types of podcasts, um, maybe not directly related to what he's doing, but it's just all these guys that we all like, you know, we all run around in the same circles now. Some more so than others and like on the periphery, but, um, he, he likes the, this podcast, uh, uh, surprisingly because he's not an ax guy. I mean, he'll, he's like the first one to say, I, I'm not an ax guy, but I love what you're doing and I like listening to the podcast and yada, yada, yada. So anyway, uh, and, um, Red Label provided all the belts to, to grind these out. So I want to thank those guys also. Um, and they turned out really well and we shipped out a whole bunch of them. So I'm actually going to do a giveaway on one, um, probably next week. So stay tuned for that. And then the other big news, um, I went to a camp out <laughs> in the middle of Ohio and surprisingly, I'm not a fan of Ohio, but surprisingly this area that we went was beautiful. Uh, it was freezing cold and a whole bunch of really cool guys. Uh, I'm not going to mention all of them, but the, the guys that we all really know, um, Beaver Creek Woodcraft was there. Messer was there. Uh, uh, Nish was there. Jamie Burley was there. And there were a couple of new guys there that I hadn't seen before. And just like Chris Cash, they're like, well, we don't really know anything about axes. We don't really care about axes. But we want to get into it. We want to learn about it. And um, so, I mean, it was just really cool. You know, we don't we don't get together often enough. Um, and when we do, it's kind of a lights out party. Um, and I had a great time. So I want to thank those guys for the invite. I wish Miller and I wish Killinger could have been there. Um, I know you all were super busy and whatever, but we had a really great time and it was freezing cold. So we all just huddled up by the fire together and snuggled up. I'm sure that you did. <laughs> I'm sure that you did. So it sort of sounds like then. For lack of a better term, you actually did get thrown in the fire there with cash and just get right after it then. So yeah, that it was pretty like, cool. It was seriously, he, <laughs> he, I, I get there Tuesday night and he was like, dude, I've been thinking about this. I don't know if I can do all this. You're going to have to start forging tomorrow morning. And I was like, what? I wasn't really prepared to do that. And he was like, either you're going to have to do it or they ain't getting done. So um, I had blisters on top of blisters. <laughs> I'd never, I'd never swung a freaking hammer so much in my life. Um, and then holding on to the top, like it's really difficult. It's, it's just not a, it's not a, it's not a normal kind of, you know, uh, what am I, what am I like? the dexterity and, you know, just holding on to tongs really tight, pounding on metal. Dude, my, my left hand, my ring finger went completely numb from my, the tip of my finger down to my, to my wedding band. I have no idea why, but I was just hanging on to those freaking tongs so tightly and I was swinging so hard. And Chris was like, dude, just relax. You don't, you don't have to kill it. Like it's hot metal. It'll move on its own. Just, you just got to work fast, but not hit hard. So, I mean, th there was definitely a learning curve. Uh, so, uh, I, I mean, like, you know, like whenever you, you do 
whenever you start on anything, you look back and like 150 bottle openers later, I was like, oh yeah, I feel pretty confident doing this. But the first ones, oh, I'm sure they looked not so good. <laughs> so I guess then a couple questions that I'm sure that the people are going to want to know coming out of this is how long then until you are on an episode of Forged in Fire? Oh, no, 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 no. Come on, no. No, it's not going to happen. Those guys actually contacted me two years ago, um, and I don't know how they found my info, but I got the big, long, unsolicited email from one of the, you know, the the head, whatever you want to call them, I don't know. They're like, you should come on Forge and Fire and blah, 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 blah. Dude, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't have, I don't, I don't have the skills to do that, uh, I'm not a blades. I'm not a bladesman. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of knives. Anyway, I mean, I'm not a knife guy. Are you a knife guy? Do you like knives? I'm not a knife guy. I have knives, but in no way, shape, or form am I a knife guy. Like I have some of the basics. I sold a couple knives at your place, actually, a couple Chris Reeves knives that I just don't. I didn't really have like room for in the daily scheme of things. Yeah. And I already have enough axes that, you know, are just sitting around. I was like, I don't need knives sitting around that I don't use every day. So I am in no way, shape, or form a knife guy, but I appreciate their beauty and their function and the guys that make them and the, the work that goes in. I mean, there's some beautiful specimens out there. Yeah, the guys for sure. are doing, so, which is pretty cool. But so this whole thing, that's awesome. I, I'm really excited that Cash likes listening to me on the podcast. <laughs> That's, that's cool. I'll have to meet him sometime. I'm sure you will. I think that the other question that the people are going to want to know, as I brought it up last time, is where is my pink V bottle opener? <laughs> I mean, if the run is done and we're over, I haven't seen mine yet, so is it safe to assume that it is, quote-unquote, in the mail? Uh, You might get, you might get a, a gift one day that, you know, just an unsuspecting package in the mail and it might be something special for you. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into any details about that, but something right. might be in the works. All right. Well, I mean, it is the season and, uh, that is what we agreed upon anyways was the magic pink V bottle opener just to yeah, sort well, of bring everything together. So, well, you know, at this camping trip, uh, I, I brought some white claws for you because oh, I knew that man. you weren't. <laughs> I knew you weren't going to drink my IPAs. <laughs> so we've been actually, that's one of the really good things about the podcast <laughs> is that we get a lot of interaction. So there definitely seems to be team IPA and then like team Pilsner, like team oh, non IPA. And there, there's no like, there's no middle ground. Like there's either, you're either on one side or you're on the other. Like there's no guys that are like, listen, like I'll drink both. I don't know what you guys are talking about. It, I never knew that there was that distinct line. At least what it seems, because guys are like, "Oh yeah, you're Mike. You're right. Like Roy is, in, he's way out there <laughs> drinking this stuff." Blah blah blah. And then guys are like, "Mike, I don't know what you're doing. You're an idiot, man. Like IPAs are it. Like they are so good, and you don't know what you're missing. And I can't believe you don't like them." So that's been really cool just to have that communication come in from everybody and oh, uh, it's have hilarious. them pick a side. So that's good. So yeah, the secret squirrel camp out that looked pretty cool. Obviously, brother Matt was there. It looked like that was sort of his shindig that he had. Uh, looked like he was doing a lot of the food prep and stuff like that. So that's good. And, oh my uh, god, dude! They, I'm they sure had, that was a good they time. Had so much food. He he got steaks, t bones. They had vegetables, uh, eggs, bacon. I mean, I didn't. 
I brought a bunch of food, and I don't know if I even touched any of Like, you know, just a little bit. Oh, some guy, he came from, I don't know where he was, like Scranton or something. Uh, that's where he's from. I don't know where he lives. But um, he made a big pot of beef stew that was so freaking good on Saturday, Saturday morning, afternoon-ish. Because we went to bed, Messer and I, and uh, there was a, I think it's J.W. Apothecary, super cool guy, and maybe Jamie Burley. Like the four of us, we were the we were the late nighters. We went to bed at five in the morning, and we had we had consumed a ton of beer. Like that IPA stuff, man. I think the average is like six and a half percent to I think one of them was eight percent or something so I mean it was a long long night and I woke up Saturday and I was just I was my body was shaking I was hungry I was (laughs) I felt poisoned and uh I got up and this dude was making some stew and I was like oh man do you mind if I have some stew and he's like no dude it's that's what that's why it's here and I got some stew and I was like I got to go back to bed. <laughs> it was just, it was so bad. <laughs> Nothing like good old stew to help you through the detox process on oh, Saturday God. morning out in the middle of the woods with a bunch of other dudes. Hanging yeah. Out, so it was super cool. So I saw that you were on the road. What, what's going on over there? Uh, on the road a couple different times here over the last week. So I went up uh, Leaf. B.A. Baracus, as I like to call him, he had posted that he, he was looking for a chainsaw, and lo and behold, I had a chainsaw that I hadn't used in a couple years, and it met his specs as far as what he was looking for. And he had this big, it's uh, it's made by Hardig, who actually got bought out by Pelican now, so they make a lot of hard plastic things. They make boats and different kind of containers. And basically what it is, it's this huge two-piece plastic container that, would work really good for me to load my axes in than to take to these axe meetups. So it has all the foam in it and everything like that. So how big is this thing? I'll get the exact dimensions. It's big. I know that my girlfriend, Shannon, if she, the running joke is now is if she starts running her mouth, it's big enough where I could stuff her in there. Oh, that's, that's really big. It's big where I think if I just take the top off, I should be able to put a 36 inch axe down in the foam and just leave it standing so like from top to bottom then you can just pull that out really or, yeah or i might be able to use it as a display so i'll put some pictures out there of it it uh, some company originally had it and uh, they had a big screen tv in it really yeah so it it's quite the it's it's hardcore it has little wheels on it, it has a pressure valve so if you need to adjust the pressure in it uh what? so i figured that would go over well whenever i roll into the axe meet and be like hold on guys you need to adjust the pressure <laughs> here on my Lincoln axes and whatever God, else. So, you're but that was something that that I had been looking for. You know, those have a pretty good price tag. He was looking for a chainsaw, so we just married that situation up. I ran up there, uh, dink and dunked sort of along the way, trying to hit some antique places. Didn't really do that well at all. Came yeah. back, uh, saw another gentleman then that uh, I had bought some axes off of before. Uh-huh. Uh, we did some wheeling and dealing. I got about almost 80 axes there, so that was a good haul. And then, what? Uh, and 80 then axes? Home. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. you can't just say I bought 80 axes. So, so what are some notables out of that lot? Like, you can't just say, oh, I bought 80 axes and then I headed home and, you know, and then I went about my business. Most <laughs> so people would not have 80 axes, period. There was, uh, some, you know, a couple keen cutters, a couple flint edges. Uh, there were some markings that I'd never really seen before. Like one just said 20th century, made in USA. Uh, you know, you're saying. I've got one of those, yeah. I don't know what that's about. I don't know. I don't either. Yeah, so I'll have to figure that out. And then there was the, as we talked about earlier, the blue Juniata. <laughs> You're an idiot. The blue Juan, <laughs> the blue Juanita. Um, there was one of those. Uh, a couple craftsmen with the different oval logos. You know, single, single oval, double oval, things like that. Did you get any then, songs? I did not, but. Of course, you know, I had to pick up somewhere, I don't know what the exact count is, but right around a dozen wood slashers. Oh. Got to have the wood slashers, single okay. bits, some jerseys. Are they marked d- or unmarked? Double bits. Mostly all of them are unmarked. I think there's one actual wood slasher one marked. In there, but So that was a good haul. Uh, got to spend some time with him, see some of his collection. That's uh, cool, man. Got educated on some axes, which I always love to talk to guys and uh, always learning something. He was telling me about an ice axe and that you don't actually use an ice axe like out on the ice, like those traditional yeah, ice. For, to make blocks to for ice boxes, right? That's right. So I guess they would, you know, cut these huge ice boxes or ice blocks. Yeah. They would then put them in the wagons, things like that. They'd all be covered in sawdust. And then whenever you got over to Mrs. Smith's house, and she'd be like, hey, right. listen, I need a 20-pound block. I need a 40-pound block. They would take that ice axe and then chop that off there accordingly to be able to fit in their ice box. And they had big, like, uh, they almost looked like hay hooks or meat hooks that they would stab into the blocks also. Yep, yep, they're carrying hooks, very similar to, like, your hay hooks, things like that, yep. I think I saw a video or something on that because I, I, I can clearly see it in my mind where – I saw I saw something. Ah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like you know, uh, the part of the part of all this is just learning um, about each piece or whatever or each company. And you know, whenever we we were together at this little uh, camp out last weekend, uh, Nish had brought up. Uh, he was like, "I got this really cool Rockaway," and you and I were talking about it before the show. Um, we don't have to get into the detail, but he was talking about uh, a J.H. Blanchard Rockaway, and I had never heard of that before. Um, so, uh, you know, it's always good to to hang out with people, like-minded people, and get you know a different perspective, get more info, and never stop learning. Um, and he's just he sent me a picture earlier today because uh, I was asking about it again, and it, it's a it's a beautiful Rockaway. I just love that pattern. It's just so unique, so distinctive. Just got great lines on it. I love it. It does very, uh, very unique to the area. Obviously, and a lot of you know yeah. companies then tried to copy it. But you know, Blanchard, you know, with that story, just the quick nitty gritty of it. So you had McKinnon, McKinnon plant burned down. Blanchard basically tried to take it over, and I believe in 1920. Didn't really work out that well. He made axes for about 10 to 12 years, and that's why you don't see too many of those. Still use the same pattern, use some of the same equipment, and, and um, 
tried to make a go of it, and then it looked like he got out of the axe game and just went into sharpening services. So, you know, a little unique piece, or unique piece of history there with a very narrow window of what was going on with a particular maker. So, yeah, cool stuff. And like you said, man, it's just a constant learning process. It's uh, it it's is never going to end. There are so many companies, so many um, little niches of of what people are into that, you know, you just start going down rabbit holes um, and people people become really, really knowledgeable about a particular company or pattern or, or maker or whatever. And then, you know, whenever you, whenever you get to hanging out with these guys, it's like they want to share all this information, right? Um, and it's really, really cool. Uh, the problem is just retaining all the knowledge because there is so much – out there, uh, and the, the and the variety and the manufacturers are like there's so many of them, and and like that's why you're always like I, I can't get into fire axes, I can't get into European stuff. Like yeah, I get it. It's just too much info. It is, and that's why you know even I rely on uh, you know a lot of the guys that are sort of I don't know if specialized is the right word, but they have their area of interest. So like. You know, True Blood comes to mind immediately with the whole Alexandria scene and what was going on there. Um, and so well, I know Kill- I've, yeah, Killinger with the New Orleans. Killing- yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and there's those guys out there where you sort of have to lean on and be like, hey, listen, so this is what I know or don't know. What do you got? What do you have? And it's just really great resources to be able to make yeah. and, and talk to those guys. So it, And it, that is never going to stop because you almost have to have your your little niche and really dive into that. Yeah, they're like the de facto experts on a given given company or given whatever, you know. Right. And then, I mean, if you you have a question, you can always ask Matt Justice because he'll know. (laughs) Oh, my God. He he, (laughs) – I'm not – never mind. It doesn't matter. (laughs) There's our Matt Justice toss in for the the episode right there. So. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure that he will appreciate that. But. He thinks about things on such a weird level. Uh, he's like, yeah, so I started to make my own boiled linseed oil. And I looked at him, and I go, why? And you can go to Home Depot and buy a jug of it. And he's like, you know that's not real linseed oil, right? And I go, no, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like It's boiled linseed oil from the hardware store. Uh it works really, really well. Um, I don't need to make my own, so uh, whatever. <laughs> I mean, he just like the point is that he thinks about things on such a deep level. Where <laughs> he's like, I know what kind of finish you do. I smelled it. I licked it. I can. <laughs> I know what you're doing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to hide it by putting it in boiled linseed oil. Dude, are you kidding me? Uh, he, he's a good guy and a wealth of information. And oh, I love him. Always, I love always him. a pleasure to talk to. So, <laughs> All right. Well, let's. we need to get back to our main topic that we want to talk about today and be able to share with everybody. And we were sort of talking before and like, hey, you know, so what do we want to talk about? What do we got? So what we decided is, you know, we get a lot of questions. We get a lot of comments. Say, what about this? How do you do this? Um, Roy gets it all the time. Hey, what's your secret with this? And it just sort of seems like everything is perfect. Well, that's right. Not, that's not the case. Um, no. 
everything with axes is obviously a job. There's a lot of work, a lot of effort that goes into it. And with that, there's a lot of times where we fail with axes. We screw things up. Uh, we don't get it right. So we thought it would be important to talk about that, like how have we screwed up with axes. And it could be hanging them. It could be sharpening them. Maybe some not-so-good stories on buying, trading, selling, whatever that looks like. Because there's a lot to learn in that whole process of axes yeah. and what, what goes on. A lot of questions, you know, especially new guys coming in, like, hey, how do you do this? And they'll get frustrated sometimes. They're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm having a real hard time trying to hang this axe and, you know, this is happening or blah, blah, blah. And it's it's not not perfect. It's not every time that we do something, whether it's myself, uh, Roy, Killer, you know, a couple of the other guys, um, it's not, I guess, like as seen on TV where everything just goes perfect, you know, and everything that gets screwed up is cut out. So we want to talk about that a little bit today. To let everybody know that it is, it's not a perfect process and we, we screw up stuff all the time. So yeah, what do we sure. got? What, what's a good example? Well, the, the most recent example, um, you know, going back to Kelly Woodslasher, I had a customer that wanted an unmarked jersey and I, I even, I post, <laughs> this is how dumb I am. I even posted a picture of, of the handle blank with the eye drawn chucked up in my vice and I said and the caption was let's do this and <clears throat> I'm shaping the eye for this uh um wood slasher jersey and it went completely sideways so I use the t- the term chasing the hang and chasing the hang to me is uh you have these little micro gaps either on the small of the eye or the back of the eye and it's always at the bottom um and for whatever reason, man, I just could not get the small of the eye to to fill in. Um, the more, and and it and it has to do with the lugs because whenever you're whenever you're shaping the eye, and if there's too much meat uh, on the handle and those lugs are getting pushed down into it, it draws the head toward the lar- the, the large part of the eye, the back of the eye, and what that does is it. Um, it will open up and gap the small of the eye. Um, so you have to taper it just right from the small of the eye through the transition of the lugs. And it's, and it's a pretty delicate process toward the end, right? Cause you've only got a, a couple of, a couple more, uh, couple more dry hangs to be able to get it whenever you're down that far. And it just would not line up. So, um, I had to scrap it. And, and whenever I get that close, uh, the best thing for me is just to take it to my bandsaw and just cut it in half. Just, just be done with it and put it out in my mind and start again. So I start again. And I'm like, I'm going to take my time on this one. I'm going to make it right. I spent twice as much time on it. Okay. Same head, new blank, beautiful piece of hickory. The same freaking thing happens again. The exact same thing happens again. I cut the handle and this time I'm, I'm super freaking pissed and I go, you know what? I'm going to get a different head and I got another head. Same, same one unmarked wood slasher jersey. I hung it in 10 minutes. I mean, everything about it went perfect. It was flawless. 
beautiful hang. Everything turned out great. Um, and I posted that one. So from the outside looking in, it's here's this post with everything all drawn perfect. And then the new post, new axe hung, everything looks gorgeous. But people don't realize that it took me three tries for one axe. And I make mistakes, too. I'm only human. Uh, and, and the thing with Instagram or Facebook or any social media, like you're in charge of your content and you only put out the best stuff. Like it's it's no one wants to show failures. They exist all the all the freaking time. I screw up. I screw up a lot. So that's just one example that happened last week. Now that that with with practice and um with as many you know you just the repetitive part of it you you get better so the mistakes become anomalies um but the point is even on hang especially on hangs do not get frustrated um because my hangs the very very beginning were dog shit i mean they were awful to the point where I didn't even want to hang an axe. I was intimidated by hanging an axe. I had to get like pumped up. All right, I'm doing this. I'm going out to the shop. I'm going to hang this axe. And I like blocked out an hour of time. And now it's just like an afterthought. Oh, I got to go hang this head and do this and this and this. And I just go. But those first, when I say first hangs, I'm talking maybe six months pushing a year. Like they were just awful. So that's some serious time. It it is. Yeah. And 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 you know, I said this I say this to everyone and I know that I said it down in North Carolina. If you set yourself up for mediocrity, that's the result that you're going to get. So if you're okay with gaps either on the top of the eye, the bottom of the eye, the small, the back, wherever, if you're okay with that, then that's what you're going to get. But whenever I set out to restore axes, I told myself, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the absolute best that I can be. And the best that you can be is perfection. So nothing goes out of my shop that isn't perfect. If I, and I call them micro gaps because some people, they're like, oh, yeah, it looks good. If you can see any sort of daylight, any sort of, you know, if it's if the wood's not sucked up against the bottom of the head, that's not a good hang in my mind. It's got to be a perfect seal all the way around. And I think to your point there, that's where a lot of guys struggle. And I know I struggled with that at first because mm-hmm. I think that you, you concentrate so much on obviously with the top or the head of your handle and how that's fitting in the top of the eye. You're already thinking about that wedge that you're going to put down in there and what that's going to look like. Are you going to do it flush? Or are you going to do it a little proud, maybe a quarter inch over? And you forget then about the bottom. And I know that on the first few ones that I did, I was so excited. Like, I, I oh, man, I got that. That's going to be a little bit proud. I'm going to be able to right. cut that off, sand that. I'm going to oil it. It's going to look like a million bucks. <laughs> get it all done. You totally forget to look on the under, and you look, and you're like, holy shit, look at that gap. That is absolutely <laughs> terrible. Like, I can't. And then it just bothers you, right? Yeah. And I know that I struggled with that because I was like, so how do I get this up here? And, I, you know, I got to leave. You know, I got to leave it fat and try, and it is a process. It's not something where, you know, hey, you're going to nail that on your very first time and it's going to look perfect. And I think some guys, 
get frustrated with that, especially if maybe they don't have the space or all the right tools and they're trying their best to do what they can with what they got in it. It's a process. So we, are, we have all had that struggle with trying to get that hang to the way that we want it. And, you know, it's going to depend on the axe that you have. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, this is going to be my truck axe and it's a beater. If I got a little bit of, you know, a quote unquote daylight here or there, is it really that big of a deal? No, nah, I mean, I'm just going to beat the hell out of this anyways. Yeah. If it's something like to your point, though, man, you know, hey, I'm, I'm sending this out and this is a piece that somebody else wants. then yeah, we want to make sure that we have that. And that's something that we uh, we all strive for. And it is a pain in the ass. I Oh, my God. And I've done the same thing where I have the one handle, especially with the jerseys. You, you bring up a really good point. They are such a pain in the ass. And I've had that where then it won't work with the lugs. Like the lugs come down too much or biting in. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Am I going to scrap this handle? And I'm like, are you getting so mad you want to? Oh, what about this? Maybe I can make this work in this this four-pound Dayton. And sometimes you can get away with that. So um, you just got to work it. You know what one of the ugliest hangs – Joey, stop it. The ugliest hangs is that when someone <laughs> – you see it, you see a jersey and there's this huge what you all call a ninja shelf. Um, and someone <laughs> actually – if someone actually cuts a V into that – for those lugs to fit down into down in there. Right. Yep. <laughs> it mm-hmm. looks so ugly. Yep. It's like, oh man, you had no idea what you were doing. But you know, like if if you just need a quick axe and you're busting rounds in your backyard, who really cares? Um, and if it works and it doesn't fly off, hey, good for you. Um, but but if you put your name on something, do you want your name to be associated with? perfection or mediocrity and exactly yep so um i was gonna ask you something else uh um that doesn't matter it doesn't matter hangs there oh oh i know what i was gonna say um this is counterintuitive um so whenever i Whenever that period that I was talking about where I was getting really shitty hangs, um, most of them were hardware store handles, right? From Ace Hardware, Home Depot, or whatever. Um, this is pre-premium axe handles that a couple of different guys are offering today. These are just junk handles that are like baseball bats. And I, and I would always say, um, man, if I could just, if I could just shape each eye specific to each head, it seems like that would be a lot easier and I'd be, and it's not, it, it's tailoring <clears throat> that piece of wood for each particular head instead of trying to make two things fit that don't really want to go together. Now, I think the handles that are coming out today are way better than the handles that I was dealing with years ago, but it just always seemed like I would, I, I got to the point, Miller, where I would, Okay, I'm hanging this jersey, and I would take that head into Ace Hardware or whatever, and and go through the handles one by one, and and fit it on there, and like eyeball it up. Okay, this one fits a little bit better than this one. This one fits. A, oh, this one's totally junk. There's so much variance in there. If you just went and got one off, a handle off the shelf, and you're like, all right, I'm going to hang this head, and you'd get it back to your shop. There's no way that those two things are ever going to match up. Um, so by shaping 
each blank to each head, I feel like I am, I am, uh, you're way, way ahead of the game really because I, then, yeah, exactly. You're taking, I'm starting off with a blank slate. Exactly. You're taking that handle blueprint and that axe head blueprint and you're making those marry before you really get going and you already have your, your correct template, so to speak. Yeah. You'll fine tune that as you go and then be able to marry those two together and it's going to work out really well. A lot better. The, the struggle is real with the, <laughs> the hardware handles, right? Like you, yeah. that's actually a great idea of, you know, Hey, I'm going to wall her in here and I'm going to take the head with me and be able to find one that I can sort of marry up better than, you know, these mm-hmm. other three. Um, but that is, you know, and then I think some of us, and I know I've done it. All right. So I have this handle. It's not quite perfect, but I'm going to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yep, you know, I'm yep, going to yep. get this thing to where it's perfect. Right. And I'm going to be down there. I'm going to be rasping here, sanding here. Oh, I, I need to make my curve a little bit deeper. And then you get to it and you're like, shit, this ain't going to work. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like you're chasing that hang. Like yeah. in the back of your mind, you're like your your fingers are crossed. Am I going to get it? Is it going to get it? And yep. yeah, sometimes it sometimes it goes, and you give yourself high fives. And then sometimes you just cut it up with the bandsaw and you move on to the next one. And I got tired of doing that because some of these handles, you know, they're fifteen to twenty dollars. You do that, you know, five times, you're at a hundred dollars for handles and. Exactly. A third of them are in the trash. Like, that's no way to run a business. <laughs> but, like, that's part of the learning curve, though. And it's just part of it. If you want to hang axes, you're going to scrap a bunch of handles in the beginning. Or you're going to have a bunch of shitty hangs. You know, take your pick. <laughs> well, and I think to your point, though, you're going to do it in the beginning, and you're never going to get fully away from it. You're still going to have times where you screw it up. It's just the nature of the beast in you know, I think I just think it's important for guys to know that. And hey, it happens, so don't get too discouraged. Yeah, uh, I think the big thing with it is take your time, right? So don't get in there and don't go all Johnny Rambo with the sander or your rasp <laughs> or whatever it is. Make yeah. sure that you're, you know, fit, refit, fit, refit, sand, rasp, whatever you got, fit, refit, and just you know, slow but slowly but surely. If you do enough of them, you get into a little bit of a routine. You get your habits down. You you know you can. Eyeball things up a little bit better. Um, but if you're only doing, I don't know, maybe a couple per year, things like that, yeah, you're going to struggle with it. You're it's, gonna, all, yeah. it's all right. So I'll give you um, one of my axe hanging tips. Ooh, pro charge. tip. Pro should we tip. do like a little little segment? I should have some music in here. Like, pro tip time from Roy of Vintage Axe Works. Oh, that's great. Don't smack the 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 swell of the handle every time you go to hang like there's just no reason to so if you're wondering how to hang heads i don't go through this specifically in in great detail on my instagram feed but if you watch close enough you can pick up on little things that i do and the thing that i do whenever i'm hanging a head i'm i'm shaping it i'm eyeballing and i and to get my test fit Instead of turning it over and smacking the butt of the handle, I just smack it on the floor one time, and that chucks it up enough. It'll it'll throw up some curls, but it doesn't seed it on there so freaking hard that it takes an act of God to get the, the head off of the handle. Right. So what that does, well, it saves you time, and it, and it also prevents you from busting out 
the the handle the the swell the palm swell because that happens all the freaking time uh, the more you hit on it the more likely it is it's going to break um but also um what it whenever you're whenever you're hanging and checking and you're going down you you just don't need to hammer it on there that freaking tight so shape it shape it shape it get it all the way down and then once it's flush that that handle is flush with the top of the eye, then start using your dead blow or your mallet or whatever on the swell of the handle because you only want to go up about three sixteenths, an eighth to three sixteenths. If you're chasing a hang, you might get a quarter. It might push a half inch, um, but you don't need to smack that handle over and over and over because that head isn't going to go down a significant amount of distance from smacking it on the concrete floor or using a dead blow on it. People just sit there and wail on them trying to get that head to drive down. It ain't going. One smack on the floor, and that's all you need to know. That will give you all the marks that will guide you to a good hang. Pro tip right there. Pro tip brought to you by Roy Scott Vintage Axe Works. Kentucky, USA. So if you actually the, bring up, it, it is a really good point. I have done that. Just the tip, baby. <laughs> I have done that same exact thing where it's sometimes, you know, you're trying to hang that axe and it's off and on, off and on, sand, rasp, blah, blah, blah. And you get frustrated, right? And you're like, this son of a bitch is going on there. And you wail on that thing like three times and you're like, and then you're stuck. Yeah. Now it's on there. It's not right. No. Now I got to get it off and you got to basically figure out how am I going to get this accent and, and hopefully it's not one where it's like, you know, has some money value to it or is a rare axe. Right. Cause now you're, then you sort of like have to kid glove that and you're like, Oh my God, how am I going to get this off? Do I beat on the handle? Am I going to hit on the axe? So you've yep. just opened up a whole nother can of worms and then you get even more mad. Then you start banging on stuff and it's just bad. So again, less, less is more. And uh, again, slowly but surely to figure it out. So, um, the other, the other kind of in conjunction tip with this, um, I only smack my hand, my handle twice with the dead blow to get a full seat hang. If you're sitting there wailing on it, you're, you're not doing any good. Like the first two hang, the ter- first two blows will set that head. If you smack it anymore, there's a chance that it's going to recoil and actually pull away from where it was initially seated. Right. So two good smacks with a dead blow. I use a four-pound dead blow from Harbor Freight. I mean, it's junk. It smells like China. Um, <laughs> like you walk into the store and you instantly get a headache. Um, <laughs> what is that smell? But anyway, I've got one of those cheap-ass... Uh, four pound dead blows from Harbor Freight that works great. And I used to use a mallet. I know that Leaf's got a, an angled mallet. I know JC had one. He had a whole run of them. It cut up some angles. Um, I think those work really well also, but the dead blow, man, it, that, that's the game changer. If you don't have a dead blow, go out and get one. It, it, it greatly reduces palm swell chip out. I, I can't give you a percentage, but a whole hell of a lot more successful. Two now, smacks. You, two good smacks and you're done. 
are you going to have like a gift card then in the mail later on this week from Harbor Freight to your house for, for that right there? <laughs> I like, hope here, not. Here's, here's 50 bucks. Come get some China. <laughs> I hope not. I so, those are all really good points and tips. And, you know, the big thing is take your time. Learn as you're going. Don't get too carried. I know whenever I've screwed it up, it's usually because I get too carried away and I try and, you know, hey, you've been Millerized. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna fold and, and bow to me, which doesn't doesn't always work. So, oh God, what do we got like on uh, on the head? So obviously we get a lot of questions about the hanging and this and the wedge and blah blah blah. What about the actual heads themselves? Sharpening, maintenance. What's some uh, things that we've screwed up there? I know I got a couple. couple Go ahead, lead lead out. So, I know whenever I first started going in in sharpening, you know, I wanted to do it old school. So. Mm-hmm. Had to be with a file. Right? Mm-hmm. Get on there and you're sharpening. And there's, if you don't know, if you really haven't either talked to guys or know what you're doing, there's obviously a right way to sharpen and there's a wrong way. We're not, we're not going to get into that. We're not going to rewrite the sharpening book. Sure. But some of the things that, that I would see in some of the literature would be like, this is what a properly axe that is sharpened looks, looks like. Mm-hmm. This is one that has been too much sharpened. So it'll have like the concave look. And I always yep. thought to myself, what was that guy doing that he did that? Like, yeah. how, how was that even possible? Well, I don't know. I remember, like, on my second one, it was a it was a boy's axe, and I was in there, and I was sharpening. Oh, man, it was going great. I was getting everything, and I was just going to town, and I got and, look, and I looked at it, and at the end, I had concaved that SOB, and I didn't <laughs> even think it was possible. Because I just, I got so worked up and I was so excited about sharpening it. And man, it was was looking good. And like, if you don't actually hold it up and look at it from multiple Mm -hmm. angles to see what you have, it was actually pretty easy to do on like that second one. I think I'd sharpened. I mean, we're talking like seven, eight years ago, like really Really? getting after it. Yeah. And it was pretty, pretty easy to do. Um, And I was really surprised. Now I haven't done another one of those, but that is, uh, that is very possible to do. Um, and I, I just found it amusing because I was like, man, who, who's the idiot that's actually going to do this? Well, guess what? It, it is possible. <laughs> that and was that, you. That idiot is right here. <laughs> oh, so shit. It, it did happen. Uh, some of the things that I messed up on early on on sharpening, um, I, I don't even know when to say messed up on, but just the learning curve was so steep trying to file. Um, the, the, the biggest issue on hand filing is setting the bevel and getting a consistent smooth edge all the way across the cutting edge. And what, what tends to happen is you'll roll the file. So you'll have one degree, uh, one bevel degree on the actual right at the razor's edge, but then you look back and it's all faceted up, right? So you got, you can see it's all wavy. What you're looking for whenever you're doing it, is a nice, smooth, um, no-faceted, uh, just an easy transition grind from that file. And whenever you're done, so you can start, you know, kind of going at one side or the other side um, just to try to profile it out. But once you get toward the end, you should be taking long, straight strokes all the way across that cutting edge so there's one nice bevel. And I have messed up. So many heads and wasted so much time trying to learn that process. It's, uh, you know, again, that's just part of it. If you want to, if you want a nice sharp axe and you want to do it, uh, 
the right traditional way, whatever, use a, a single cut file, preferably a Nicholson USA made. Um, you're, you're going to mess up a few heads and you're going to waste lots of hours in your shop and you'll probably cut your fingers too. You very Yes, you definitely can do that if you're not paying attention. And it, it's a process. I think some guys think that, and I know I did this. I was like, all right, so I'm going to have my 8-inch file, Nicholson, you know, whatever it is, and I'm going to get in there and scrape, scrape, scrape. You know, 20 minutes later, we're going to be good. And that's not how that works at all whatsoever. Uh, you have to use different files then during that process too that I found in order to make that um, – your, your edge correct with your mm-hmm. angle and, you know, and everything. So that is a definite process and it's something that, uh, I don't know if you can actually really teach it. Like you can give tips and read in books and stuff, but until you actually sit there, it's just hands on do it. Yeah. You, you just, you got to screw a couple of them up and you learn from it and you'll find out that there's, there's, there's better ways to, to do things. And, uh, you know, some guys like files better than others, um, which, mm-hmm. again, is another subject for another day. But there's uh, I don't know if there's really an absolute like one on one right way. Like you just sort of got to get into your own groove and, and make it happen. And you got to screw it up a couple of times. Yeah. Um, and then when, once you put that edge on there, then uh, you need to hone it with either a whetstone or um a two by 72 strop it or whatever. Um, so once, once you get a two by 72, the whole game changes, right? So I can, I can still file. Um, and it's a great skill to have. Uh, and you know, all these things, you start off small and you just build, you build your skill set, you build your confidence, and then you move on to the next method. You move on to the next tool but you never lose. You never want to forget where you came from and how you started because, you know, the last thing I want to, last thing I want to be uh, accused of is, you know, at hanging out with one of these meets and some guy gives me shit like, Oh, Roy just used a two by 72. He doesn't know how to file sharpen an ax. No, I, I do. I still know how to do it. And then whenever we teach these ax classes, that's the method we use. So uh, just because you get a different piece of equipment or tool or method or whatever, always know how to file sharpen an axe. Well, what I've found, and I think that you bring up a really good point is so with that two by 72, like once you transition from hand file to the two by 72, that almost seems like wizardry. You're Mm -hmm. like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. I just went from however long it's going to take me with a hand file to depending on the axe and what's going on, you know, minutes. And that is awesome. But in order to do that correctly, with that 72, you need to have that basic understanding of everything that you already did and accomplished yeah, with absolutely. the regular file. Because you can still, I mean, with that 2 by 72 now you're talking minimum minimum chances for error. Because now I can really mess that up real quick if I'm not paying attention. And, yeah. You know, I, I hold it too long or whatever that case is. You can cause some serious damage real quick, and you're probably not going to be able to fix it, depending. No. So, yeah, that, that's a great point. Uh, your your room for error uh, is drastically different on a piece of equipment rather than a, a freaking file. So, uh, if you don't know what you're doing, I would not. I, I 
I, whenever I got my, my grinder, I went to my junk pile and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I don't know how many, how many edges I burned up. And that, that's the thing, man. With a file, you're never gonna burn an edge. You're never gonna draw the temper out of that cutting edge. With a with a grinder, man, it it can happen just like that. And, Absolutely. And and you know every every machine is different. Um, so what you have, you're gonna learn on that piece of equipment, and you're gonna become the expert on yours, right? So whenever I went to to Chris Cash's. He had a different type of rotary platen. Um, it didn't have that belt backing on there, so the 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 feel was way different than mine. So you just have to learn and adapt. But once you get that technique down, then now you're just looking at efficiency and consistency. Uh, and I can tell you that the two by seventy two, in my opinion, for what I do, is more consistent than a file than what I could do with a file. Now I know that there are guys out there that are file geniuses and hats off to them. But for the volume that I'm doing, there's just no way that I could, that I could do that. Uh, I had to use the grinder and it's consistent and it's razor sharp every single time. Yeah. And that's basically what I found. So I did the same thing, got some, junk less desirable heads and you just get in there and you practice and it's there's so many different variables that are going on there that you really don't think about but you Mm -hmm. are analyzing all at the same time like this is how i'm holding it here's the angle maybe the speed of the belt blah 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 and there's all those different things and it it is a process into itself one of the one of the biggest variables that i think people probably struggle with is just pressure how much pressure am i putting on that belt. Um, so whenever whenever I'm shaping a handle, whenever I, I start with 36 grit, I'm I'm just putting tons of pressure on there. But then I back it off and I go to a 60 grit ceramic, and I it's like I, I'm always telling Becky whenever I'm doing something, no pressure, no pressure, and just whatever I'm doing, because I think. People, like whenever you're doing something, just like I was swinging that hammer, I was clenched so freaking hard, just wham, just wailing away. And, and Chris was like, dude, just just relax. And a lot of these things, it's all about feel and finesse and handle shaping. Oh, my God, I've messed up so many freaking handles in my day. It is, it's unbelievable. No doubt unbelievable. it doesn't. It doesn't take a lot, and you know I think that's obviously one of the things that people get frustrated with. I know I did, and it, it's it's a learning process the whole way around, um, no doubt. But what else? What else do we got on heads? I know, I know my second story isn't really. It's more about me being an idiot, but I remember one of the first oh. ones. <laughs> we got to hear this. I remember one of the first ones that again I have file sharpened. I've taken my time. I used different files, you know, I got it all honed up, nice wet file thing at the end there, got it all nice and stoned, and I mm-hmm. dropped dropped the accent. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've done that. Screwing around, and then, miraculously, after I pick it up, it looks just like one of those ones that you'll see where it's like, we will replace it if this is the defective area, 
We will not replace it if this is the defective area. <laughs> and I'm holding it up like to one of those postcards looking at it. I'm like, wow, that chunk that is out of that bit looks just like what's on this card. And hmm, I guess yep. that's not warranted. So word to the wise, don't be screwing around, pay attention and don't drop a freshly sharpened accent on a concrete floor. So I, I, I did that enough times where I said, well, I need, I need to get some foam padding. I mean, not just for my feet, but, you know, maybe that'll help. Nope, that doesn't help. <laughs> that uh, freshly sharpened axe will go right through that, hit the concrete floor, and, it, and it's always, like, right there on the tip or the toe, just always whammos out. Yep. And uh, sometimes, if you get lucky, you can take a coarse stone to it. You don't have to reprofile it with the with a file. You can take a coarse stone Clean it up, clean it up, clean it up with the fine side to it. Uh, if you're lucky, I mean, if you if it lands really wrong, then you just got to go back to the drawing board. But sometimes you can get lucky and pull it out with the stone. Yeah, most of the times that direct axe head to concrete is not going to end well. <laughs> no, no way, no way of getting around it. But yeah, those I remember that and just I felt so sick. Like I don't even know. Yeah what the term was, but I was, I, I was just like, my gosh, I just put all this time and, and effort into getting this thing, you know, in my mind, it was perfect. Sure. It mm-hmm. wasn't, but in my mind, I was like, this is it. This is awesome. Oh, clank. Goodbye. Yeah. Hours worth of work. Gone. Exactly. Down the drain. But so what else do we have? What kind of, uh, I guess, ax things that we screwed up one way or another? Uh, I've messed up tons of leather. Um, I've I've made templates. I've cut them out upside down or backwards, flesh side up, flesh side like whatever, whatever you want to say. Just completely inside out, wrong. Uh, I've made I've I've made templates out of paper, and sometimes that translates to a, a decent pattern. Most of my most of my templates are out of paper, but sometimes, man, you just get to cutting and just got to slow down. I, I've made so many mistakes on leather. And I guess, I guess in a broader context of leather, um, using, uh, inferior tools and stuff like that makes leather working harder. Get a good, good, get a good razor knife. Don't like some things you can be cheap on. Some things it pays to have nice, good tools. I'm not saying that my, my tools are nice and good or whatever, but there are definitely shittier tools than what I have. So, you know, if you're using junk tools, you might get junk results. So just be aware of that in a larger context of making mistakes. Don't waste money on stuff that's not absolutely necessary or, you know, buy the best that you can afford. Don't, don't waste money on equipment or tools or something that's just going to break and fail and make your life harder and more miserable. Like that's the thing. It's miserable. Whenever you don't have good tools working on something, it's miserable. Absolutely. Unless it's the, the China Thor's mallet from Harbor Freight or whatever it's called. <laughs> Dude, I can't say anything bad about that other than the smell. Um, <laughs> it is a, it's a great tool. I wish it was made in America. Um, but it's one of those things that's kind of hard to justify when I mean, you go to Harbor Freight and get a, a $15 dead blow that works a hundred percent of the time. I mean, I don't, 
I'm sure someone's going to call me out like, well, you can get this American made dead blow. Well, send me a link. I'd, I'd love to take a look at it. <laughs> you know, that is a good point. So, you know, you, you sort of get what you pay for, so to speak, whenever it comes to the tools that you're, that you are going to use. And that is a learning process because obviously, I would think the majority of the time, if you're starting out with this as a, you know, quote unquote axe, uh, you know, hobby or profession or whatever you want to call it, you're probably not going to roll right into the game with top notch tools right off the bat. You're going to use either what you got laying around, maybe what you can get off of like family members, dad, brother, whoever. You're mm-hmm. going to do what you can, but then it's sort of eye opening whenever you mm-hmm. go from like tool A over to superior tool B and you're like, whoa, what yeah, am I exactly. missing out on? Right. Yeah. And whether it's a file, whether it's, you know, razor blades, things like that. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like I've been pissing away all this time with this, you know, inefficient file or whatever it is. And you're like, I'm Mm -hmm. never going back, never going back. So it does. And that's one of the things that, again, you got to learn. Obviously, guys have all kind of, uh, you know, they have their own, I guess, uh, favorites on all the different tool lines, which is cool. Mm -hmm. But there's still those ones where like you, quote unquote, graduate from like this yeah, yeah, up yeah. to this and you're like, Oh man, this is well, awesome. I'm I'll, never going back. I'll give you a personal example. I'm, most people don't know this. Um, whenever I made the decision to start fully hand shaping my handles, um, it was a nightmare. So this is pre bandsaw pre two by 72. If you want to hand shape your own handle, how are you going to do it? So you've got a couple of different methods. You could you could do what uh, Tim does up in Michigan. He he's got a draw horse. Shape it out with a draw knife. Okay, that's going to take you forever. Right. If you want to do it on any sort of production scale, that's not going to work. Okay, so what's the next method? You get a bandsaw. Well, what if you don't have a bandsaw? How are you going to cut out a blank if you don't have a bandsaw? I'm asking you, like, right, like, how would you do that? Jigsaw? Okay, jigsaw. Um, I've never used a jigsaw uh, on hickory. I don't know if it would work very well, but you can give it a go. So you can go to you know, your local pawn store, pawn shop, and get a $20 jigsaw from Black & Decker. Maybe it'll right. work. I don't know. I had a table saw. Oh, so boy. here we go. So you draw, you have a square, you have a, a square blank, okay? That's all a table saw can do. Square blank, put your template on there, and then I would, I would turn it up perpendicular to the saw blade and adjust the depth of the saw blade to where that template lined up, um, so the blade would match my mark, and then I would run it across the table saw and make a whole bunch of little relief cuts like half inch apart. And it would follow the contour top and bottom of that handle uh, or template that I drew. Then I would take it over to my vise and I would take my chisel and pop off all those little relief cuts. And then, so now I've got a really, really rough blank. And then I would take my draw knife and I would start to refine that shape. And then, this is a little-known secret, how vintage axe works. Uh, I had hand-shaped handles at the very, 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 very beginning. It was an angle grinder with a flap disc on it. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. So I would take two clamps, clamp that thing, clamp the blank to my workbench, put in a 36-grit flap disc on my 4-inch, 4.5, 4.5-inch angle grinder, and just 45, 45, 45, and just start getting that shape as much of a refined handle shape as I possibly could. And I had a little palm sander that I would start sanding at 60 grit, just over and over and over and over, and bring it up to 220. Now, looking at those handles that I made early on compared to what I'm making now, I'm, if I've got one of them, I've still got one of them on my rack in my house. And every time I pick it up, it's just like, oh, oh, <laughs> this thing is really, really shitty. Um, but that was the best that I could do at that time. And, you know, if that, if your the hang was perfect, um, the wedge was perfect, just the handle was a little blocky. But if that's all you've got to work with, I call that a freaking win. High five, success. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, not everything is going to be perfect. Um, right out, well, nothing's going to be perfect right out of the gate. It, it takes a lot of time and persistence to achieve perfection. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect now, uh, by any stretch, but, um, the mistakes that I've made along the way have, have made me a, a, a better woodworker, you know, better, better all around axe kind of guy. You just learn from them and move on and, and, Hopefully you don't make the same mistakes over and over. Sometimes you do. Mm. Well, sometimes you do, and that's how you learn from those, though. And then, you know, to your point, as you get um, better acquainted, you get the better tools, you, you have the ability then to be a little bit more efficient. You really appreciate then whenever you first started and, and what you yeah. did. Like, oh, my gosh, like this first handle I did at the time – it was the, the cat's meow, right? Like, it was the best. And now you yeah. look back on it and you're like, I can't believe that I did that. Like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't, I wouldn't put my name on that right now. <laughs> it, I think, though, that it makes you appreciate the whole entire thing. And, like, I then, of course, with the history, I go back and I'm like, man, I wonder what these guys in the logging camps were doing. And, like, it makes me really appreciate the level of professionalism that those guys had and the ability to do what they did. You know, they, Again, I don't know all the working conditions and stuff like that, but I can't imagine that they had anywhere near mm-hmm. the resources, obviously, that we have, right? There's no 272. There was none of this, none of that. Like, they're yeah. doing stuff basic, basic, and they're making it work. And you look at some of those old original handles and the hangs and everything, and you're like, wow, this is this is actually pretty impressive. Yeah. Or, yeah. or it being however old it is, you know, 60, 70, 100 years old, and you're like, oh, man. Well done. So that was just something that we wanted to talk about. Obviously, everything that we do, some of the stuff, again, you see on social media, everything looks great, perfect, and there's a terrific story and this, that, or the other. But there's a lot of trial. There's a lot of error. There's a lot of learning. There's a lot of giving. And so we just thought that that was important to be able to talk about that because uh, I know a lot of guys get frustrated. We get questions coming in. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, blah, blah, blah. So – you got to learn. Well, you got to hang in there. You got to get after it. Well, 
you know, aside from process on axes, I mean, there are, there are other mistakes. I mean, you, you hit on it whenever we were leading in about purchasing. And you and I just briefly talked about it, um, purchasing mistakes. Like, I don't want to get into pricing or whatever like that, but so what are, what are some mistakes whenever you're, whenever you're buying an axe? Just quickly. A couple of mistakes that could be made. You get very excited at something that you've seen and maybe you've wanted it and you've had a huge chub for the longest time that you've been looking for this axe and you finally see it. Like maybe it's on eBay or another and it's maybe a buy it now and you're like, yes, please click the button. Mm-hmm. You don't fully inspect all the pictures and you don't fully read the description. You're just so excited to be able to get that piece and then you get it and you're like, oh, that's happened to me now. I, I've, I've, multiple times you know that has happened to me where i got so excited got it and then i was like this isn't really what i was thought it was and that's how i got burned twice on two fakes because i did not do the due diligence to check it out make sure that it was indeed what it said and i was just like oh i gotta have that yeah so yeah lesson learned number one ask questions send messages hey what Mm -hmm. is it say is that label 100 percent authentic Right, right, right. What's the story behind it? Uh, Where did you get it? Blah, blah, blah. And see if they can answer those questions correctly for you and make sure that it all makes sense. If you don't know, you got to ask. That's probably about, I don't know, somewhere in that 25 to 50% of the questions that I get all the time. Mike, this is what I see. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know the full story behind it. Can you help me out? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about this. Blah, blah, blah. And you got to ask those questions because unfortunately, in the game that we're all playing, there's guys out there that are looking to capitalize on that in a not so legit way. And you got, you got to put in the time. You got to do your due diligence, your research, your homework, send the messages, ask the questions, ask for more pictures. I've done that a million times. Sure. Uh, give me a better picture of this, you know, whatever. And just make sure that to the best of your ability that you're making that purchase in the in the best effort that you can. What's up with all the shitty pictures that people take and post of axes or whatever for sale? It's like they're trying to be so evasive and you know, like I'm going to take the the worst pictures possible just to <laughs> just yeah, to screw with people. Like, are I, they I taking pictures on a flip phone or what? I don't know. I mean, you know, my first question with that is, so obviously you can see your own listing before you ever put it out there. I don't know. Does it look good or not? So, like, you're you're okay with putting out that fuzzy blur? Like, is <laughs> is that a Dayton axe or is it, am I looking at Bigfoot walking through the forest? Like, what is going on there? God. So that that automatically brings brings a question, raises the eyebrows. I don't know why they would do that. It, it makes you think that, okay, well, now I'm trying to hide something. Yeah. Those, if usually my first initial mindset is that if you can't put out good pictures for an item that you're trying to sell and make money, then you've pretty much lost me as a buyer right off the bat. Yeah, for sure. You know, sometimes I'll dive in and be like, Hey, could you, could you put up some better pictures or could you send me some better pictures? I mean, is that possible? Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But those I, are I like- really head scratchers because why would you do that? Well, I love the response of, well, I'll have to wait until six o'clock when my son or daughter gets home because they're the ones with the camera. (laughs) (laughs) 
Which could be. I mean, you get some of the old timers that are not, you know, yeah. computer savvy, for lack of a better term, and they're trying their best uh, to be able to put out some stuff that they have. But it's still like, you just don't know. It could be 100% honest, legit. Those guys just, they don't get it. They don't have the technology to be able to do it. Or you could have people that unfortunately are trying to scam you. I guess. So, uh, but it does happen. But, you know, my word to the wise on buying stuff before you push any button to finalize it, make sure mm-hmm. you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, I think that's a good tip for sure. And, um, education yeah it's common sense but i know i've talked to other guys where they're like oh my god it popped up it's a buy it now i gotta Mm -hmm. get it now before anybody else sees it because it's something that either i wanted or maybe it's uncommon and that's it's just that that competitive beast you're like oh my god man click that button yeah and i think killinger even said it to us um he might have said it on here on the podcast that uh He'll, he saw, he's seen something on eBay for a buy it now, and, and he's like, he's so excited, he clicks it and buys it, and then he's like, oh, I better go read that description really quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. I've had a couple guys tell me that, and, and I've done it too. <laughs> I've done it too. I mean, I've I got to admit it. I've, I've done the same thing. I was like, oh, shit, I should probably go back and read that over. I'm like, the pictures look good, but you yeah. know, sometimes I'll be like, oh, you know, there's a fine, fine line crack underneath the eye here or something like that, and they're like, ah. Uh, well, and I've I've made two two um I've given two examples of where I've gotten burned on heads on this podcast that jersey that had a crack back on the pole and then I bought a head uh, a couple months ago that was painted and it had a big old uh, brazing fix on it so I mean. I'm not going to say don't buy painted heads because people love to paint axe heads, either black or red or whatever, but just maybe take a little bit of time to inspect it just a little bit closer. And if it's caked in rust and covered in rust, just go over it with a fine-tooth comb. And at the end of the day, it's an axe. So, I mean, it's not like you're holding something, I I don't know, like a, a bag of diamonds or something like oh my god God. (laughs) it's an axe just take your take a few minutes a second couple seconds to look it over um i know that i've got a whole box full of junk heads um some of them could have been avoided so don't make that mistake no doubt put in the time ask the questions get the pictures if you're not sure either ask again or else bail out Yep. But it's a process, and you're going to screw it up. That's It is what it is, but learn from it and go on. So so um, I don't know where we are on time, but let's start wrapping this up. Um, I've got – I put out a thing, uh, asked Legitimus Podcast a couple questions. We get questions all the time. So uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep a bank of questions, and maybe we'll get to one or two toward the end or whatever. Um, okay, so here's here's a real quick question, and this ties into our last episode. Um, so okay. That was a question about uh, double-bit patterns. Remember we were talking about the Plum National double-bit? Oh, yeah. Someone – who sent us that uh, that clip? That I got showed? it from like – I got it from like four different people. I, I honestly don't remember who the first one was. 
Yeah. It was the first time I saw it. It was on Facebook. And I apologize. I can't remember who it was. I know Matt, you know, big brother Matt, he sent it to me right away as soon as he listened mm-hmm. to the podcast. Yeah. So but yeah, they are indeed out there. Yep. So we're big dummies on that one. But this, this question kind of ties into that. Uh, this one is from uh, Step into the Deep. He asks, uh, Plum National, did it ever get a patent? So those early, early, early national heads, they have patent applied for on the back. I know it's on the front side, and Plum is on the back side. Correct. Yeah. So do we know if they ever got a patent? This is where it doesn't pay to assume, because I always assumed that they did. Um, I would... I would, too, because they stopped I, putting that on there. Yeah, I don't know. We would have to. Uh, I'll look. I don't remember ever seeing that patent in all the ones that, that Lamond had here. Um, so I do not have a definitive answer for that. I'm sure somebody out there probably does. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we might be able to dig in and find it through the, so, uh, through the archives. So, yeah, this, this little question segment doesn't have to be like we're the expert we're going to answer everything this is this is a great question just to kind of throw out there uh if anyone's got any info on that please send it our way um so here's here's another one and uh whenever i first got started i actually thought the national pattern was a rafting pattern because whenever you look at it it's got those chamfered edges and in in the books, like it highlights those edges. Um, so I just I always called them a rafting axe. So uh, we are fleas asks rafting axes. How rare are they really? That's a great question. So the rafting axe, if you look at it, is one that evolved over the course of time, and it has three different names through the course of time. So originally developed that they needed something for the quote unquote log dogs, the guys that were out on the river and had to chain together all the logs that were going to go float down the river. They needed something with that hardened pole to be able to drive the spikes, the wedges, all the different, um, all like buckles and different things like that, that they had in order to basically put everything together to float it down the river. Right. So that's how that originally came. So you had that. Obviously, as technology advanced and things, um, that sort of died off. We didn't need that. But everybody loved it because it had the hardened pole. So you could bang, sledge, mm-hmm. you could do whatever, you know. It sort of then got absorbed to where then they were also doing the wedges with it for the tree mm-hmm. felling. Made sense, right? You could use it for that. Then, the bangers. Correct. So you went from it being called a rafting axe. Mm-hmm. You then also had it being called a construction axe later on. Interesting. I didn't didn't know that. Yeah, it's listed in this ManEdge catalog actually right here. You got really close to the microphone. (laughs) That's what the people want. So it's listed in one of these ManEdge catalogs that I have here as a construction axe. And basically it just got repurposed. Mm -hmm. There's nothing really different about it. Obviously some of the weights and things like that would vary. Uh, but then it got called the construction axe. Then sometimes you will also see it called a miner's axe. Now there's a couple different versions of that, mm-hmm. but then it also got called a miner's axe as well, usually on the shorter handle 
20, 20 inch, 22 inch, things like that. But for all intents and purposes, those three things over the course of time are essentially the same axe. And those were typically, the miners axe were typically straight handled, if I'm Correct. remembering that correctly. Yeah. Right. So, um, I have, I have gotten the request uh, from a lot of guys that want rafters as splitting axes. Cause typically rafters are the ones that I have found anyway are heavier than standard heads. And when I say heavier, five plus pounds, which make great splitting axes. Yeah. A lot of guys love them for that now. So they've sort of even got repurposed into that role. So really, I mean, if you want to make an argument, you could say, you know, it has a fourth name, a fourth purpose. Um, and guys love them for that. So get, getting back to the original questions, how rare are they? How many rafters does Mike Miller have? What I, if we're going to call it like an original rafter used for its original purpose, I have three of them. I have a Vulcan, I have a Flint Edge, and I forget what the third one is. It's a Plum, I believe. I've got three also. One, one Plum or two Plums and one Collins. And I, and I've sold, I've sold a few. Um, but, you know, the, the, the root of the question is how rare are they really? They're a very specific axe. So in terms of production, they're not going to be cranking out rafters in the numbers that they're going to cranking out Michigans or Dayton's. It's just, there's just not that big of a demand for them. Right. And, and the timeline on them, for the true specific purpose was pretty short in terms of the, the history of axes in general. Right. So that's, so overall as a generalization, yeah, I would say they're pretty rare. Uh, maybe not rare. They're just not as common. Um, which makes them more desirable, which makes them more valuable. All these things add up, you know, they just start stacking up on each other. So, of the, how many axes are you up to now, Miller? Fifteen hundred? Uh, no, just just over fourteen hundred. Fourteen hundred. Yeah. And you have three. I've got over six hundred. I've got three. So if you see a rafter out at a store, wherever flea market, are you going to buy it? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna buy it because you, they just don't pop up very often, and they, and they and they serve that special niche in history, which makes them that much cooler. And you know, whenever I was living out in the Northwest, um, I lived right on the Spokane River, and you go over to the Idaho side, uh, right outside of Lake Coeur d'Alene, um, was the bottom. They had a huge logging operation. Um, that was the end of the logging operation. So they were they were logging trees up uh, in the Coeur d'Alene National Forest, St. Joe, and floating those down the rivers through the lake to the Spokane River. And, and once the out of the lake, the discharge, you can still see the huge log pilings out in the middle of the river where they were staging up and you know uh, either offloading the logs or whatever. But you can see all of them still up in the river a hundred years later. And that's just really cool to see that history right then and there, you know, 
Yeah, it, it is very interesting. Um, whenever I was in Canada, they had the, they look like massive railroad ties. Mm-hmm. And those were the ones that they would put on the outer edges and they had all the big metal eyelets and that's where the mm-hmm. chains would go through and hook and basically you'd make your big pile of logs to go and send down the river. Yeah. And I, I just can't imagine that. I mean, that, that would be crazy. So. Well, it's, and it's no surprise that the three rafting heads that I have came from my buddy Mark that sent me all those, uh, from, from Spokane. Yeah. I mean, I, I have not personally found a rafter here in Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, Tennessee. Like they, it's more of a Northwest. I, I think of it as a more of a Northwest axe. No, oh, no. This is the Collins catalog from 1988 and it still has rafting. Axes listed in there. Three pound, four pound, five pound. With either a 26 or a 36 inch handle. And those were 24.96, 27.96 or $30.96 in so 1988. 30, 30 bucks in 88. I wonder what that equates to in today's dollars. We'll have to figure that out. Yeah, we will. But it, for all intents and purposes, it looks just like the malls that are in here too. it's probably no different so they 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 take it uh off of the off of the hammer coming from uh the mall line and all they do is they take it to the grinder and they just make chambered edges on it basically (laughs) i mean it's not that different i mean for all intents and purposes it's one more process (laughs) that they're doing down the line (laughs) that's hilarious I'll put a picture out of that. I don't know where that man catalog is right now, but it basically shows that called a construction axe, which is just a renamed, renamed, repurposed for that particular axe. Cause I'm, I'm sure they probably still had some or they had the dies for it. And there was mm-hmm. a, there was a call, there was a need for it. And they just, they're probably like, well, these construction guys aren't going to want to buy a rafting axe. So we're going to call it a construction axe. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So there we go. We got several more questions, uh, and we'll, we'll just hit a couple questions per episode or whatever, you know, just however we fit them in, we fit them in, but keep them coming. We appreciate it. Um, you got anything else, Miller? No, we should probably wrap it up. We're pushing an hour and a half here, so that's, uh, that's enough for everybody to have to listen to me. Yeah. And, uh, let alone yourself. So, um, yeah. We'll get this out. This will go out, obviously, today. Uh, we apologize about the delay. We're going to be pushing for one podcast every week to keep things a little standardized. And we will go from there. So to Roy's point uh, that he spoke about right off the bat, thank you to everybody. Really appreciate all the downloads, the listens, the support, uh, the feedback that we've been getting, good, back, good, bad, or ugly. Keep the questions coming. We'll throw a couple of those, two or three of those in each episode. And uh, anything else that you guys want to learn, if you want us to talk about any other kind of uh, topics, whatever. But we really appreciate everything. And uh, we will be getting back to everybody here soon. So, All right. Everybody Thanks, have guys. a good day. Rock on. Thanks, Thanks guys.